Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. And we have a friend with us today. So this is Jessica Katz from Liberated Elephant. And Jessica, I'm, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about you and about what Liberated Elephant is and uh, why elephants need liberating. Sure thing. Um, first, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you taking the time today. I am Liberated Elephant is my business. We do agile coaching, training, speaking, um, and a variety of other facilitation and change management work. Um, Liberated Elephant's focus for me has been about, you know, one of my one of my superpowers is being able to identify chinks in the armor and really look for the unspoken things going on in the room and um, turning those unspoken things into spoken things and then making them opportunities instead of um, instead of challenges. So how would I recognize one of those opportunities? What, what would it look like? And what, what's an elephant look like when it's caged? Sure. So one of the most common um, opportunities is the um, person who's afraid to speak up and share their idea into the room, usually a result of a fear of retribution, either socially, politically, or financially, uh, and trying to get that to be a safe space for folks to talk is really where we get the creativity anyway. So um, it would look like people shut down during meetings. It would look like all hands where people don't find that they're, that they're any value. It would look like... Um, uh, meetings where uh, there's a second meeting after the meeting and people are talking <laughs> in the hallway. Those would be really good good examples of our um, fearful elephants. Got it. And, and uh, is that something that uh, you find in Agile teams uh, more or less? Is it happening more? Because we talk about it all the time on Troubleshooting Agile. We talk about being more curious and uh, looking for opportunities to create that psychological safety. I'm wondering what you find. Are there particular ways that it shows up in, in Agile teams? Is it different than other places or is it just the same? Uh, you know, I think it shows up the same in every place. I have, uh, you know, I work with more Agile teams than I do non-Agile teams. So by percentages, it shows up more for me with Agile teams, but I, I think it really shows up everywhere. Uh, I find actually one of the hardest places is in human resources um, because they are both responsible for the system that creates retribution and living in a system that has retribution. Um, so it can be really challenging for folks in the human resources and legal departments. Uh, and again, and for middle managers, trying to figure out how to navigate that space and make it safe while not feeling safe. I'm I'm really curious, Jessica, because uh, I can certainly understand the kind of environments you're talking about and have uh, come across them before, and uh, I'm sure some of our listeners will recognize them. Uh, the, the symptoms seem familiar. The the part that surprised me is well, you know, who brings you in? Like in, in that who's in the environment where it's unsafe for people to speak up? Who says you know what we need is we need someone to come help us free these uh, elephants? What's the problem that actually gets people to finally act? That uh, that that that. They would they would contact you for um the so typically it's a really bad engagement survey several okay. years running um those um you know the benefit of bringing me in specifically is that i'm working on getting an environment to be safe for folks and yeah. in that effort um what you do is increase engagement and the and then engagement results in higher productivity higher predictability profitability all of those fun things that come out of engagement so they'll probably get an engagement survey that's really bad okay. and be like, oh, let me, let me pull somebody in who can help coach us through this. Or they'll have gone through a recent shakeup, managerial or leadership shakeup, 
and the leaders that come in go, well, we have a mess here. Let's see how we fix that, right? So, and they bring me in to sort of help coach them through that conversation and getting to a position of safety. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that that's interesting that there's because the two elements that I can see why that, that like I in my head there's the one hand the engagement survey is like okay we have evidence there's a problem, and we we have essentially we have license to act uh, we because we have the evidence we have the you know the proof here that we can hold up and say yep look there is a problem. <laughs> And we don't need to say, I told you so. It's like, no, look, we, what do we want to do about this? In, in, in a way that is um, current management speak fashionable to address. You know, people are running the engagement survey because they've, they've um, the management, current management theory says that engagement's important. And so that means when the, the engagement survey comes back low, they can't dismiss it and say, well, this isn't important <laughs> because then, well, why did we spend the money on the survey? But, but I, I'd like to, to, to do something that Jeffrey often does, which is to, to ask not the five whys, but the five so what's. So okay. um, I'm wondering what, what benefit does greater engagement have? So if you have a, a bunch of folks who are um, fearing retribution, they have the second meeting after the meeting, they're um, not speaking up and describing problems in their software or their delivery or their um, product development. So what? what why does that matter? Why, why would you want to fix engagement? Yes, it matches a management theory, but but what benefit do you, do you see for your clients? Uh, well, the the first so what is that if you have disengage if you have actively disengaged employees, they're also disrupting your culture, not just your software delivery and the product you're producing, but they're actively bringing people to their cause of disengagement in your organization, which means it it's it propagates exponentially. Um, so that's the first problem with active disengagement. Uh, actively disengaged people also feel stuck. And so they're not looking for work elsewhere, which means you're stuck with people who are actively disengaged. So you'd actually like more of them to quit because they're disengaged. Oh, well, and actually, if it was that bad, then it would be good if more quit. <laughs> you want them to either leave or become engaged or at least less actively disengaged. There's this middle zone that happens between engagement and actively disengaged. But they're like, okay, I can be all right here. I'm not actively looking for work. I don't actively hate my company. Um, but if something came along, I might leave. And if something really awesome happened in the company, I might become engaged. That and, and middle I'm certainly zone, not going to put myself out and do more and, and come up with right. really great creative ideas. I'm just going to turn the crank. That's right. I'm just going to turn the crank. The act, if you can get the actively engaged people. So, um, Gallup did a poll, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to quote it wrong, so I'll come back to that later. But the, there's a poll um, that out there that says, you know, people, the companies that have high numbers of actively engaged folks, which means they have 14 engaged people for every one actively disengaged person, they see 17% increase in um, productivity. They see 21% increase in profitability, and they see four times as much benefit for their board members. So, you know, we. The so what is that it matters. If your people are happy, so are your customers and so are your profits. And, and for clarity, I believe that we wouldn't be doing the podcast. We wouldn't have written our book and everything else. If we didn't, right. we wouldn't be talking to Jessica if we didn't believe that. <laughs> but what's difficult is often you'll find people, especially the disengaged ones, who will say, well, so what? <laughs> Why does it matter if I get more engaged? Hey, I didn't find that in the scrum book here. It doesn't say you should be more engaged and you know have a longer stand up so you're more engaged. It doesn't say any of that. So when when I hear people say we're trying to increase engagement, I always want to know why. What's their motivation for doing that? So for the individual who becomes more engaged, they see benefits in mental health, in physical health, 
and general happiness and satisfaction in their life. Um, you know, in the United States, one in five employees can expect to have a significant mental health situation every year, one in five. So if we can engage folks and create a community for them where they feel like they belong and they're excited to be there, they're less likely to have that kind of mental health reaction. And therefore, we'll have teams that get more done and fewer sick days and more people producing better. That's right. Okay, I'm sold. Great. How, how do we do this? So we've been <laughs> talking for most of the podcast about how, how this would be bad and we need to liberate the elephants. How, how do we get them out of the cages? What do we do? Uh, so I will say first, it depends a little bit on the organization, but on the general whole, um, you really want to shift the mindset of leadership. Um, leadership has a tendency to value output over outcome, not in every organization, but in a lot of organizations, they have a tendency to, to say, oh, how many widgets did you produce? Instead how, how many story points did you get done last week? How many story points did you get done as opposed to um, what impact did it have on our customers? Were we making a difference in the world? Were we making a difference for each other? Um, and their focus is needs to be shifted to that outcome-oriented focus. Uh, and you know, there's been a movement in the United States towards what they call B Corps, which put purpose over profit. So we start to think about what are we, who are we trying to be as an organization in the world? What is our identity as an organization, and how do we connect people to that? So there's some of that movement as well. Um, I think we, it's we have those in the UK as well. So uh, know a okay, little good. bit about them. There'll, <laughs> there'll be there'll be a link in the show notes if people want to hear more about what a B corporation is. B That's as great. in boy, by the way. So you're saying that that, that the uh, the change really starts with leadership then. Um, so it's the, the, so that means that when you come in, they they've done this engagement survey. Are, are they surprised that when you what, that you say, well, let's start with you, because <laughs> what we uh, what I know what I often see is people are like, okay, we we've done this result and we know that people need to change, and I'm bringing you in to change those other people, <laughs> and and then suddenly you're showing up and you're like, okay, surprise here, <laughs> and the people need to change are you. Well, how, how how does that conversation go? That sounds like that sounds like a, a pretty tightly caged elephant. <laughs> it is a really tightly caged elephant. Um, there's a benefit if people have brought me in because they've read the engagement survey and they really want to make a change. They recognize that that change isn't easy and that it's messy. That we're in the messy space of people change, and so often there's a conversation around the the change curve that people go through. That you can't. It's just like. Um, it's just like the technology adoption curve, you know, you can, you've got, you know, your early adopters, your really excited people that want to try this. So we'll start with people that are really excited about this. You brought me in, so you must be excited about this. Let's start with you. Okay. Uh, right. <laughs> so, uh, and then you've got to really, you've got to prove, you've got to do proving. You've got to be, there's got to be stories that are told. Here's what we did. Here's how we shifted. The leadership has to start getting really vulnerable about the changes they are personally making, not just that they're making in the company, um, uh, which, you know, I will, um, I'm going to shamelessly plug one of my favorite books, which is uh, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, um, really talks about the power of vulnerability and courageousness in leadership uh, and how that's a necessary component to start shifting that culture. Um, so every change, even if it's people change, requires thinking about that technology adoption curve. And leaders may be excited about it, but it's not going to be overnight. It's going to take time. And there's going to be things that happen in the organization that they're unexpected for them as a result of these shifts. And they have to be ready 
to manage themselves through it so that they don't backslide and pull the whole company back with them. Mm. But but what if you're being brought in by somebody lower down in the organization or in a different part of the organization? I imagine you have some leaders who say, I like these elephants right where they are. Uh, I'm, I'm not that interested in being more vulnerable. That's, that's not what I want to do. Uh, what, what techniques do you have for, for handling that situation? Well, we get real honest about what's real and what is in the power, what the person has the power to change. So uh, the leader further down in the organization that doesn't have influence over the whole thing only has span of control over their, their kingdom, as it were. Uh, <laughs> right. So they've got to really think about where is that span of control? What's the boundary between me and the rest of the company? How do I meet the needs of the company as they expect them and meet the needs of my organization as I want it to be uh, and really balance that? They become a barrier between those two. They become the antibodies of those two systems. Uh, so that middle manager becomes the antibody for their team that they're trying to develop a, a culture for, and they become an antibody for the culture that doesn't want to shift yet. Uh, and and it's it's draining. It's really hard for, on those leaders. That's a really hard role to play. Um, and they're busy translating all this creativity and wonder that's coming out of their division to an organization that isn't open to it. Um, and meanwhile, translating all these policies and procedures down into their organization um, that also isn't open to it. We, we'd like you to fill in the timesheet on alternate Thursdays now instead of alternate Fridays, and they have to translate that into something exciting and thrilling to the right. now liberated elephants. That's right. I, I can see that being quite difficult. Somebody should write a book about that. I'm working on it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're describing this this interesting role of these people in the middle, and it, one thing that's interesting about that sort of middle role that you're describing is that because they are a connection um, point between different layers of the company, different strata, they often have some idea of the difference in the stories being told. Um, so, how you know, what, where does where does someone like that start? Like, what is what is within their control? You know, where 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 does someone like that begin? Yeah. Um, so. Where we begin typically when I'm working with someone like that, where we begin is to really lay out what's true. Um, and we start first with what do what's true for them as an employee of this company? What's their priority as an individual first? Um, so what do they value? What is important to them from a success and recognition perspective? Who do they want to be when they grow up? Okay. And I'm using when they grow up like loosely, uh, you know, I'm still asking myself that question. So, you know, um, it's a, you know, sort of a constant question that hopefully people are asking over and over again. Uh, but who do they want to be when they grow up? So let's figure that out first. Now, let's talk about the system you're in. Does it match who you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, how do you live in it contentedly? Or what other choices do you have to make for yourself? All right. And the culture that you're creating, what do you want that to be? And is that a match for who you want to become? And <laughs> right, and how do we um, sort of make all of those three things play well together? It does mean that sometimes you have to compromise your own values um, to live in the company contentedly. Uh, and sometimes it means that you have to not create as deeply a meaningful environment as you want to make those three things play together. But you have to then discuss what the trade-offs are. If I choose to enforce this um, time off policy, as opposed to giving all of my people unlimited time off, then what, what is that going to create here? And how do I work in this environment so that I can meet the needs of my folks? 
Well, when you, you, it was interesting because you, you started with this very personal element, right? So as opposed to formulaically, okay, well, if you're in the middle, here's the game plan. You know, we have the, we have the book or rather the, the game plan starts with a certain type of introspection. Uh, and so you're, you're describing a very personalized process. And I know before we started, we were talking a little bit about the uh, talk you'll have coming up at Agile Ireland, which we'll come back to. And uh, I'll just have a link in the show notes for that. And you mentioned um, nonviolent communication uh, and taking that NVC approach. So it sounds to me like you're, this is kind of related here. You're describing persons figuring out what their their needs are. How, how does someone start that? Because I, I know many people who've, who have said that, because now it's sort of like, it sounds easy, but actually... That's like a really hard problem. Okay, you, you know, here you go. Like, what are you, what, identify what's really important to you. Yeah, so a really good question to ask is notice where somebody says, I have to. So I have to go to work. I have to pick my kids up from school. I have to, right? And we change them to, I choose to. I choose to go to work because. Okay. I choose to go to work because it it makes me money in a really lucrative way that supports my family at the at the level of living that is comfortable for us. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're really choosing your family when you go to work. You don't have to go to work. You're choosing family. Um, I have to pick up my kids after school. I choose to leave work on time so that I can get my children because my relationship with my children is important. All right. You've chosen your relationship to your children. You haven't, you don't have to, everything is a choice. So you're now in this company and you are here as a whole human. What's, what's important to you? Let's figure that out. It sounds like you're really picking up on autonomy there. You're saying you actually do have autonomy. So anything that you're doing must have been a choice. Right. Uh, that's got to be really uncomfortable for people. Because <laughs> <laughs> then it's your fault as well. So if you're miserable in your job and you're not taking care of your kids, then that's your fault and you need to do something about it. That, that right. is a somewhat terrifying thing rather than simply blaming your employer or, or something like that. I, I had a very interesting conversation with someone this week. I'm thinking I'm going to recommend that he listen to this podcast because he was trying to figure out exactly that. He first approached me for career coaching within his company. And um, it turned out that actually the um, thing he was most interested in was figuring out whether he belonged there. And so he was trying to do exactly this kind of thinking. I was, that's what I was encouraging him to do, but I didn't have a framework like you have. So uh, I appreciate that idea of um, rephrasing the twos as um, uh, choices, the half twos as choices. And that gives you a, a guide to what, um, well, what choices are you making? Do they match? If they don't match, change them. If they do match, that gives you a guide to what you're actually trying to do. I think that could be very useful for uh, lots of our listeners. And 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 uh, it's, it reminds me of something we've quoted a few times with um, Mark Coleman and his uh, his uh, uh, phrase that he did in uh, one of his talks, which was, um, "You know, doing this is going to require difficult emotional work." Uh, it, it sounds like you're uh, you're I was going to say broaching that subject, but no, you're more leaping directly in. Like uh, this yes. is. <laughs> <laughs> And, and what's amazing is no one tells you in management school or an MBA or a, 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 when you study computer science, you're going to have to do difficult emotional work. But it turns out you will. Yeah, quite a lot of it. Um, uh, maybe this is a good time to transition to that. Um, can, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the um, talk that you'll be doing? Uh, uh, tell our audience a bit about what's the subject you'll be talking about at, at Agile Ireland. And, uh, and then maybe you can tell us an example of how they might put, you know, how, how that comes that comes to play in the real world. Sure. Um, so the talk I'm doing is um, creating boundaries, practicing curiosity, and making requests. It is deeply landed in nonviolent communication. 
Um, and I'll first say that I'm going to define a boundary here. So a boundary is where my consent and your agency run up against each other. Right. So that that is a boundary. T-shirts coming, right? So yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that space is where boundaries are, and and we're really trying to embed um, the idea that consent is a thing in our workplaces as well. Um, so an example of where I've used this, uh, I got brought in as a coach to work with a couple of people who were having trouble getting along. There was clearly a rift in their um, demeanor with one another and their ability to work together. Uh, and it all came out of um, a, a really simple miscommunication. So one person would come in in the morning, they'd say good morning, the other person wouldn't respond. And this created this feeling for them that they were um, being excluded or weren't liked or um, weren't wanted. Right. It's been, they're being snubbed, basically. Right. Yeah, that's what it felt like for them. And they, uh, you know, to the point where if the other person's car was in the parking lot, when they came into work, they would feel sick to their stomach. Right. Cause they can just, they know it's going to happen. They can, they can see the future. And, and right. they know why as well. It's because the person doesn't like them and is snubbing them and is making their life difficult that they've got. Well, they that. sure think they know why, right? Exactly. So they don't actually, right. but they think they know. Yep. Um, so their managers called me in as a coach to help them, which was great because that meant they had the safety of not inside their performance evaluation, non-hierarchical, all of that. So they brought me in and uh, I talked to each of them individually. The person that was coming in and was feeling sick to their stomach, their story was I'm being snubbed and it makes me feel, you know, unwanted and, um, and I need to feel connected to the people I work with as a need. I talked to the other person and they were like, well, no, I was just in the middle of work. I'd already gotten started. I was in my flow and I didn't even notice they walked in the office. So it wasn't that for me. Uh, I don't know what the problem is. And so we really talked about that. Okay, here's the story that you're telling yourself. What's the emotion you're having? Well, I'm frustrated that this is even a conversation. <laughs> so, um, right? so we got to have a discussion once we, we worked together and really pulled out the stories they were telling themselves the BS in their head, the um, emotions they were feeling, and then the things they really wanted. And then we pulled them together and had a conversation with that structure in mind. And the one person requested, hey, if I walk in, will you just, just say hello? You can even say, hello, I'm in the middle of something, but just say hello to acknowledge my existence. That would be great. And, and, and request, said, I just want to butt in with, for one thing that for people yeah. unfamiliar with NVC, like me, I don't know it very well. A request is a special thing, right? It's a thing that you're making as part of the framework. You make it in a particular way. And it's, it's yes. I'm not just saying, hey, would you do this? You jerk. It's doing it very yeah, differently. Absolutely. A request has to have three things to be a true request. One, it has to be clear, concrete, positive actions. So it has to be something people can do instead of something people don't do. So I can't say, don't, um, don't ignore me. That, right. My request right. is that you not ignore me. Right. That won't work. It has to be my request is that you say hello to me in the morning. Right. Uh, the um, It has to be um, immediately actionable. So it has to be something people can do really quickly as opposed to something that it'll take months to get to. Uh, and it has to be negotiable. It has to ha be a yes, a no, or a counteroffer as a response. The minute somebody is uncomfortable with anything but yes, then it's a demand and not a request. And we've then broached into where your agency and consent are not at play, right? So, um, so we worked on that. And the request was just that the other person would say hello. And the other person's counteroffer was, if I miss it, 
if I'm so deep in and I miss it, you just assume I'm busy. <laughs> so that was what they worked on. Um, and then they made a point to, as a result of that conversation, you know, the person who wasn't saying hello didn't want somebody to feel sick to their stomach coming into the office. So as a you know, they became a much closer set of people. They broke down the barrier that was happening for them. They were able to work together. And then they also did things like for lunchtime, that person would come over to the other person and say, hey, we haven't had a chance to catch up today. Do you want to go to lunch? And so those sorts of reach outs started to happen and the connection started to be created. And and I'm assuming then that that didn't just help those people to feel better, which is a very good outcome. That's something that you'd like to have, but it had a business result. So it had a result for that team functioning better because suddenly those people were chatting at lunch and would discover problems and um, improve their collaboration. That's what I'd expect from my experience. Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I'll tell you, the biggest business impact was to the rest of the team. The rest of the team then didn't, I mean, they could all sense the tension. They all knew what was happening. <laughs> so their, their rest of the team then could take a deep breath and relax and everybody could be in the conversation together and it would flow more easily. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a fantastic story. I, I love how that you, you go from something so simple as good morning <laughs> to impacting the entire team. Uh, and behind it was really the inability to discuss what they were each, the stories they're each telling themselves. Uh, and uh, and so that if they'd been able to have those conversations, uh, it really could have been uh, um, very simple. And in the end, it sounds like it, it really was rather simple once they had someone with the skill to help them through it. Um, frequent listeners will know that for us, talking about conversations as a skill, uh, something that you need to practice, it does not come naturally. Uh, um, despite all the talking we do, does not mean that we've the skill of conversation. Uh, so our listeners will, will recognize key keywords of jargon there that I'm throwing in. And when, when will people be able to, if they're interested in your talk uh, that, in the um, on the subject, where where could they learn more about it? So that will be at Agileen Ireland on October uh, 30th. Um, uh, ALI, uh, if you're looking for it online. Um, uh, you can also find it on my events calendar with the links to the conference if you want to attend the conference. The conference is a fully virtual conference this year, has some really amazing keynotes. So Got it. So our listeners anywhere, not just in Ireland, uh, can easily get there by turning on their computers. <laughs> Sounds That's fantastic. Right, everyone. <laughs> and and, and, and if, we're, if we're looking, go ahead. I was say, and for people who want to hear more from you or are interested in, in what you're talking about and uh, uh, you're writing and, and want to follow you, what's the best place for them to follow you? Where can they, where can they learn more about uh, Jessica and her liberated elephant? The best place to follow me is on LinkedIn. I have a Twitter handle too, but I just cross post from LinkedIn over to Twitter. So follow me on LinkedIn. That's the best spot. Uh, and you can also go to liberatedelephant.com and check out the events calendar to see where I'm speaking and, and teaching. Sounds fantastic. That'll be in the show notes as well, in case you're having trouble, as I often do, between liberated and other forms of the verb. So liberated, elephant, singular, that's the place to go. But don't bother writing that down. Just go look in the show notes, and you can find Jessica and all kinds of fun things for her. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Jessica, for being on Troubleshooting Agile. We really enjoy it when people come and give us a fresh perspective. I'm, I'm going to go use that uh, have to into um, choices uh, mechanism. I'm sure I'm going to use that this week. So thanks very much uh, for, for sharing that with our listeners. Of course, listeners who are interested in talking to us some more can find us on conversationaltransformation.com. 
and we'll uh, have our events and Twitter and all the same kinds of things on there to find us. And we like it when you hit the subscribe button because then you can hear interesting folks like Jessica and even us every week on Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey and Jessica. Thanks, Grohl. Thank you.